this weekend, we honor those who lost their lives defending our country. And I'm sure many of you have been touched directly by the sacrifice that has been given for our country. Have you ever thought of this, that those who have died defending our country, uh, how their lives have great value? Uh, you know, so many times I think we just think, yeah, we need to honor them, we need to do this, we need to do that. But when you really peel it all the way, out of the way, all the fluff that seems to center around many holidays, it's that whole idea that their lives were valuable. And they were valuable because they rose to the occasion that God obviously called them to. And so when we think of this, I want us to understand that our freedoms that we enjoy came from those of great value. As we celebrate this morning, I want to ask you before we begin the sermon, this sermon, what is the value of your life? Have you ever thought of that? If you have those who have been willing to die and value because of what God called them to and what they gave and the sacrifice they gave, let's look at our own lives. It may not require that we go on a, on a, uh, in war. It may not require that we sit there in a battlefield. But what brings value to our lives? Many would say, well, of course, it's if you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior, you're, you're a great prize. You're, you're a child of God, and I definitely wouldn't argue with that. But beyond that, that calling, that thing that he's placed on your life, what makes you valuable? What makes your life valuable? You see, when you pass from this world, will there be those who will honor your life and your sacrifice? What about those who have, you have influenced or led? I mean, I don't think many times we think of that. For one thing, we don't like to think about our, our death. We don't like to think about what may be there at the end and, and the things that surround that. But, but let's, let's step back from that. What will be said of you? How will your life be honored? What will they say was valuable about you? I want you to turn to Exodus chapter 2. Exodus chapter 2. We're beginning a new series this morning on the life of Moses. And, and, and of course, we've entitled the, the message, Follow the Leader. And I think many of you probably haven't heard that term in a long time because back before there were video games, kids actually went out and did things. And one game that they played was Follow the Leader. And if the leader did something, you did something. I started to have you all the stand this morning, and I was going to run you through a round of that. And I thought, no, nah, probably better not. They might, they won't participate. But anyway, but we won't play follow the leader this morning. So some of you may be asking, okay, I hear you say all this, your life, the value of your life. We're going to talk about the, the, the following the leader. But what does that have to do with me? Well, let me just say this. And we discussed this back in January. You're a leader, whether you like it or not. If you have influence in another person's life, you're a leader. And you would say, no, I don't, ha I don't, have, I don't have that kind of influence. You do. Trust me. If you have any type of influence in a person's life, you're a leader. Now, I, I want you to think of this. Who has God placed in your life to have influence over? Who has God placed in your life to lead? Now, today we're going to be looking at the preparation and the call of the leader. 
Now, this series will focus on one of the greatest leaders of all time, of course, that being Moses. Now, he wasn't a perfect leader. How many of you appreciate the fact that the Bible, when it talks about its heroes, does not do away with the blemishes, does not do away with some of the failures. I don't know about you, but that brings great comfort to me to know that those that God has called at times did fail. I've done enough of it in my own life, and I'm sure many of you have. But Moses was one of those. He wasn't a perfect leader, but he was a successful leader at least most of the time. So look at the introduction on your outline. There are times when God has prepared the leader for the task he calls them. And the one called does not see it. There's times when that person doesn't realize that God has led them to a certain point in their life. And you may say, well, wait a second. I'm afraid that time is missed. I mean, uh, I'm over here in later stages of my life. But listen, do you realize that most of the people God called in the Old Testament were many we would consider the elderly? Some of you are like, well, that's because they lived 900 years. <laughs> no, not necessarily. Study the book. Study the Old Testament. And, and here's what I want us to think about. God has prepared all of us for our life to have value, for our life to, to produce something, for there to be a call that's placed on your life and, and how he's prepared you for it. But sometimes we don't see it. You see, with God, listen, the called are equipped and the equipped are called. There is no greater character in the Bible who demonstrates this than Moses. This can be clearly seen in the three segments of his life. His first 40 years in the house of Pharaoh, his second 40 years in the wilderness, and then his third 40 years leading God's people in the wilderness. Think about it. The first 80 years were preparation for the call that he would lead them the last 40 years. For 80 years, God was preparing this man named Moses. So let's look at the first 40 years. Moses' preparation in the palace. If you were to look at Acts chapter 7, it's here on the screen. It says this in verse 17. It says, but when the time of the promise drew near, which God had sworn to Abraham. Now, now what's he talking about here? He's talking about the covenant that God made with Abraham. He renewed it with Isaiah. He renewed it with, with, with Jacob. But God made a covenant with his people. And, and we know the story. Jacob carries his family to Egypt. And it is there that, that Joseph is there. He takes care of them. Those 70 people that made their way to Egypt became a nation that many people believe of two to three million people. And all of a sudden they're there. It says the people grew and multiplied in Egypt. To another king, another pharaoh arose who did not know Joseph. This man, this Pharaoh, dealt treacherously with our people and oppressed our forefathers, making him expose their babies so they may not live. And at this time, this is so important in Scripture, you read about it a lot. It's almost like God saying, here is a time. I'm getting ready to do a work. Here's a time in which I've raised someone up to accomplish a purpose that I have. Here's a time when someone could make their life of, of, of value. And that's what he's doing in the life of Moses. Look at it. At this time, Moses was born and was well-pleasing to God. And he was brought up in his father's house for three months. But he, was, but he was set out. Pharaoh's daughter took him away and brought him up as her own son. 
And Moses was learned in all, the, this is the key, he was learned in all the wisdom of the Egyptians and was mighty in words and deeds. Now I want you to keep in mind what the Bible says here. It says, brought up in the house of Egypt, or a house of Pharaoh in Egypt. If you were to go back in that time, you would find out that much learning was done in Egypt. If you were to say, okay, what would have been the, the college world or the, the university world of the, of the world at that time? It would have been Egypt. That's where the ancient people went. That's where many ancient scholars were. And, and what you find there is that Moses is being prepared to do something great. Right there. Listen, in the enemy's place. <laughs> And God's going to bring something about, but it says that he was mighty in words and deeds. Keep, keep, keep mind of that. Look on the next point here. Moses, his private birth. Many of you know the story of Moses. Probably it's because you've seen the movie or whatever, but hopefully you've read it because the movie's not exactly accurate. You do know Hollywood doesn't get everything just right, right? And so what you have here is in Exodus 2, look at verse 1. It says, And a man of the house of Levi went and took as a wife a daughter of Levi. So this is a priestly tribe. So the woman conceived and bore son, and when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. Now, I don't know about you, but suppose that he was an ugly child. What do you think she did? I'm just kidding. But anyway, but it says he was a beautiful child, and it says that she hid him for three months. It's because Pharaoh was on the war path, so to speak. So look at Exodus chapter 2, verse 3. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, dabbed it with asphalt and pitch, put the child in it, and laid it in the reeds by the river's banks. You know the story. All of a sudden, Moses is afloat. And he's out there floating around and on this little carriage thing. And, and the sister of Moses begins to follow. And, and all of a sudden, the, the, the idea was to get the attention of Pharaoh's daughter, someone in the palace. And maybe they would rescue this baby when all the others, the Jewish babies were being killed or the Israelite babies were being killed. Maybe, maybe there would be a place in Pharaoh's palace for this baby. Of course, you know the story. Pharaoh's daughter looked, saw the baby, went after the baby and said, you know something, this will be my son. And she took the baby. You know the rest of the story. The sister comes and says, I know someone uh, of the Israelites who can take care of Moses until the age. And, 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 and all that went down. And we understand that. Verse 10, skip down. And the child grew and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. So she called his name Moses saying, because I drew him out of the water. You see, the, this will be the beginning of God preparing and equipping Moses for the calling that he would place on his life. Now, I don't think Moses thought this. All of a sudden, he's a young boy. He's being raised in Pharaoh's palace. He, he's given the privileges of probably everything the world has and, and all the learning that's out there. All that's at his disposal. And God was preparing him all along. Now, here's my question to you. How has God prepared you? I think some of you sit here and you think, oh, God has nothing special for me. There's nothing special about me. You realize that most of the people you read in the Old Testament, there was nothing special about them. They were just ordinary people. 
Ordinary people. God calls them. But God calls them, but he also prepares them. He equips them. What's God prepared you for? In experiencing God, how many of you had the privilege years ago to take the course of experiencing God? Raise your hand. Yeah, many of you. I know here in our church, I mean, hundreds took this course. And, and here, I want to remind you of a couple of things that we learned there. How many of you remember this? God is always at work around you. How many of you remember that? Yeah. He's at work all around you. God pursues a continuing love relationship with you that is real and personal. And that's the whole idea of preparing and equipping you. Number three, God invites you to become involved with him and his work, his calling. Four, God speaks through the Holy Spirit, his word, prayer, and circumstances to reveal his purposes and his ways. Five, God's invitation many times leads you, how many of you remember this, to a crisis of belief. You get to that point where it's time to set sail and you're like, well, I'm not too sure about this. How many of you remember that? How many of you ever experienced that? Where it literally takes faith. It takes faith to step out, to, to, to go into action, to proceed. Six, then adjustments need to be made to join him. There's got to be some adjustments in your life. And, and you start looking around. It's like, oh my goodness, you're calling me to leave my comfort, the conveniences that I have here. You're, you're launching me into something unknown. How many of you find the unknown fearful? Yeah. I mean, all those things. Number seven, then you come to know him, God, more intimately through your experience as you obey him and he does great things through your life. You see, for most of us, for many of us, we just are not in tune to what God is doing around us. Can, can I tell you this about God? Based on everything that we know about him in scripture, God is on a mission. He is on a mission. Look at everything you read. We get so caught up, and, and please understand, I'm, I'm exactly there when you're there too. We get so caught up so many times worrying about the difficulties of our lives and the circumstances that we face, and, and we get so caught up in that. And I do too, I understand. But that's not God's prime objective. Did you know that? His prime objective is to be on mission, for Him to be known. We've heard that the last three weeks in Jonathan's sermon series. For him to be known, for him to be honored, for him to be glorified. But so many times, what do we do? We get so caught up in these, oh, what about this circle? God, get me out of this. God, help me through this. God, do this great work through this. And, and there's nothing wrong with that. There's promises associated with every bit of that. But that's not the prime thing that God's after. He wants to be known to the nations. He wants to be known. And right here, we, we see Moses' life and we, we begin to see some things take shape that can be similar in our life. And so look on your outline. Moses, his providential burden and departure. There's something that's about to rise up in Moses and based on how I read it, I think it almost surprises him how it comes about. In chapter two, look at verse 11. Now it came to pass in those days when Moses was grown, that he went out to, to his brethren. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? He leaves the palace. Somehow he knows his identifications with those who are burdened for the Israelites. And so he leaves and he went out to his brethren and, and he looked at their burdens. He saw their dilemma. He saw what, what was going on. He saw what was happening. 
and he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his brethren. You know the story. What does he do? He goes out and kills him. He kills the Egyptian. All of a sudden, it appears that the news is getting out that Moses has killed one of the men of Pharaoh. And all of a sudden, we've got all kinds of issues happening. And Moses, what's going on? Look at verse 15. When Pharaoh heard of this matter, he sought to kill Moses. Now, here's what's kind of interesting. If you go that far back in the story, you'll find that this Pharaoh who's seeking to kill him may very well be the, the brother that he had when he was growing up. He was raised in, 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 the, uh, in, in the palace too. And all of a sudden, we've got all this, possibly even a sibling rivalry going on. But Moses fled from the face of Pharaoh and dwelt in the land of Midian. You could say dwelt in the wilderness. And he sat down by a well. He was running. He ran out of Egypt. He runs into the wilderness. And then he stops at this place. This well, and that's where we're introduced to the second 40 years of Moses' preparation in the wilderness. Let's take a look at what Hebrews says. In Hebrews chapter 11, you know Hebrews chapter 11. It's the hall of faith. You know that? It's that whole idea. This is faith. It defines faith, and it talks about how faith played out in the Old Testament. And there's this little segment with Moses that says, uh, it says, by faith, Moses, when he became of age, Refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He didn't want to be identified as that. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God, his own people, than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. Isn't that interesting? We're, we're, we're introduced to what seems to be this contrast. Pharaoh's palace is associated with sin. Something that comes short of God. And then over here, we're introduced to the wilderness. And it appears, again, this is where God desires him to be. And so in Exodus chapter 2, verse 16, we read that he, he, while he's at the well, seven daughters show up. And he stood up and helped them and watered their flock and, and ran off the shepherds that were giving them a hard time. Then, then it says that Moses went on and met the father. And it says then Moses was content to live with the man. And this man gave Zipporah, his daughter, to Moses. And she bore him a son. Another, a whole completely different life than Moses had back in Egypt. But again, God was preparing the called. Next, we see his flaming call. His flaming call. You see, God is about to do a great work. Do you think Moses knew that was going to be a day that would be a defining moment for him? Do you think he left the house that day thinking, you know, this is, this is, this is the day. He's prepared me all these years. This is the day he's going to call me, and it's just going to be great. Most of you say no because you know the story, don't you? Moses didn't have a clue. He, he didn't know that his life was leading him to the moment that was about to happen. But all of a sudden, we see something. We see the cries of the people. In Exodus chapter 2, look at verse 23. Now, it happened in the process of time. There it is, that word time. That's important to God. That the king of Egypt died. That Pharaoh died. Then the children of Israel groaned because of the bondage, and they cried out, and their cry came up to God because of their bondage. God heard their cries. 
But then we see the covenant of God. In Exodus chapter 2, if you continue reading verse 24, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God looked upon the children of Israel and God acknowledged them. They got his attention. Isn't, aren't you glad that God hears us? God heard them. But I'm here to tell you, let me say this again. God heard them in the time he was ready to do something. So many times we think God's at our disposal. So many times we think we're dictating the paths of God and the ways of God. And we're not. And it was time now. God was, had prepared his man. He got the nation to the point where the only, where, only place they could look was to God himself. And God remembered the covenant that he had with those people. And next we have the calling of Moses. The calling of Moses. You see, when God desires to do a great work, listen to this. He takes the initiative to call someone to join him in on that work. He does. How many, how many of you are very aware that God could do a lot of this on his own? Aren't you aware of that? Oh, yeah, he, he, could, he could do whatever he wants to do. But he chooses to identify with us. He chooses to prepare us. He chooses to equip us. And then he places that call on us. And it's like God wants to partner with us to do great things. Is it because God needs us? Absolutely not. He chooses us to be a part of the work. The greatest work that's going on in the world today. To reach people, to give to a cause, to lead a church, to lead a cause, to, to parent children, to invest in children. Two weeks ago, <clears throat> many of you know, I took some time to teach a parenting class. Uh, I'm just going to tell you, I had a ball in there. It was so fun to get in there and engage with parents of young children. And, and we were in there. And, um, and then at 11 o'clock, a couple of weeks ago, I was standing at the back uh, as 11 o'clock was happening. And Kenny comes in. Many of you have seen Kenny like that. Frantic. You ever seen Kenny frantic? Kenny runs in the room and he's like, oh. I said, what's wrong? He said, I got to get some nursery worker, preschool workers. And uh, I leaned in. I said, does it require a change in diapers? He said, no. I said, I'll do it. <laughs> so I go down there, and I have the privilege to keep the three-year-olds, okay? And the first time I've had the privilege to do that in 20 years. Y'all, I used to take a rotation on the nursery. I did. I, I loved it. I almost looked forward to it. I got out of preaching to do it. You know, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> but I'm here to tell you, I went in there, and I just had a ball. And I'll be honest with you, I mean, I'm sitting there and the whole time, this may hurt a little bit, I'm sitting there thinking, why don't more people want to do this? I had a ball. I went in there and sat on the floor with them and played with them. And, and, and it was just fun. And I like to think I had a little bit of investment in a child's life for that, for that day. Some of the funnest time I ever had. I don't know why y'all don't get in on that. It's fun. It really is. There's little personalities, and you sit there. Anyway, I'll get off my soapbox. But anyway, anyway, let me move on. Exodus chapter 3, the calling of Moses. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the back of the desert, and he came to Oreb, the mountain of God. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him. 
Let me tell you something about this angel of the Lord. He shows up. I forgot to do the research. I meant to do that. I think it's 11 to 13 times in the Old Testament. The angel of the Lord shows up. Let me tell you what some people believe about the angel of the Lord. And I'm one of those people. That could easily be the pre-incarnate Jesus. That he could be the angel of the Lord showing up. Isn't that cool to think? The important times in the, in the Old Testament is Jesus himself showing up. We know, we know he was a part of the creation. And all of a sudden, right here in this burning bush, it's the angel of the Lord. I just believe it's Jesus. Isn't that cool? And it says, he, look, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of a bush. Now think about it. It's an ordinary day, a man doing an ordinary job, but a man who's been prepared. So he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. Verse three, then Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great thing while the bush does not burn. His curiosity was up. So when the Lord saw that he turned aside to look, now notice this, Moses turned his attention and then God spoke. Y'all, the problem with many of us is we get into life and we get into the busyness of it and we go and we go and go. We never take time to reflect on his word. We never take time to evaluate our lives. We never reflect on our lives or what God may be up to. But what does it say? It says that Moses, that this got his attention and he turned. Now, some of you are sitting here saying, yeah, if he did a burning bush trick like that for me, I probably would listen. But you know something? There's greater than a burning bush within us. It's called the Holy Spirit. With us all the time. And there's times in which I know this happens for me. He says, stop. We need to reflect on something. We need to look at something. And here it is. He's there, his curiosity. So he turns, you know, it's almost like he, and then God speaks. God called to him from the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses, he called him by name. And he said, here I am. It implies that I'm listening. I'm available to hear what you got to say. Verse five, then God said, do not draw near this place. Take your sandals off your feet for the place where you stand is holy ground. I tell you, another reason why I believe this is the Lord himself in that bush is because of that statement. Angels don't have the right to go around saying, hey, here's holy ground around me. Take shoes off. I think deity definitely has shown up, don't you? And the thing that we see here is that he says, take them off. Now, it means, here's what we have here. Undivided attention implying that God wanted nothing, wanted nothing between him and Moses. The moment Moses, this moment, Moses is set apart from his preparation to take on the calling. Now, think about this. A life that comes to a defining moment. I want to ask you a question. You ever had a defining moment in your life? If you know Jesus Christ is your Lord and Savior and you've come to him by salvation that he provides through Jesus, you've had a, de a defining moment. My question to you is, have you had any sense then? Has there been that time in which God just spoke so clearly to your heart that you just had to listen, that he had your attention it may have come by way of circumstance. It may come by way of just something that the preacher said one day or what you read in the Bible that day or some devotional and it just spoke to your heart. But let me ask you, when's the last time you had a defining moment when God said do something and you did it? 
That's what's going on here. Verse 6, Moreover, he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. You know what he's saying there? You know what God's saying? He's saying, Moses, you need to understand something. I made a covenant with your people. And then he goes on and he says, these people I've just listed were ordinary men who did great things. And the Bible says, and Moses at this moment hid his face for he was afraid to look upon God. When you read this, it's kind of interesting that, that when God said that, when, when Jesus or whoever's in the bush, when the angel of the Lord said that, all of a sudden you're sitting here and, 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 and Moses says, oh, you're that God. Was Moses introduced to other gods before? For 40 years in the palace, there were gods all over the place. False gods, I remind you. But all of a sudden, he knows he is meeting with the true and living God. And he's sitting there and he's caught up in the moment. Verse 7, and the Lord said, I have surely seen the oppression of my people who are in Egypt and have heard their cry because of their taskmaster, for I know their sorrow. So I've come down to deliver them out of the hands of the Egyptians and to bring them up from that land to a good and large land, to a land flowing with milk and honey, to the place of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Parasites, I'm sorry, the Parasites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come to me, and I've seen their oppression with which the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, I will send you to Pharaoh, that you may bring my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now, did Moses say, now I understand how you prepared me, and this, I get it now. I understand completely. Yeah, I'm definitely on board with this. Is that the way it happened? No, he does something that many of us have done for years. He's done something that many of us. You, you know what I call this moment? I started to, to entitle the whole sermon series, <laughs> Do What? <laughs> because that is exactly kind of the way Moses comes about this. Do what? You want me to do what? And so what you think about, Here, here's what's happening. A do what moment is becoming a defining moment. If you're, hopefully, you've been there. You want me to do what? And hopefully it becomes a defining moment for you. You've heard my testimony of how God's worked in my life. And this whole idea of going into ministry was definitely a do what moment for me. It's one of them things where, <laughs> how am I going to do that? I can't get in front of people. <laughs> I mean, it, it's, it's sad. Some of the things I've had to deal with embarrass myself to be in front of people. I've had panic attacks and everything to fight through to get to this point. And, and I'm just going to be honest with you. A lot of this journey in the ministry has been a do what moment. The changes that we've had to do over the last 20 years. And you notice I said, we've had to do, because I've been firmly believed that God has been on this every step of the way to care us where we're going and where we're going in the future. And, and I'll be honest with you, it, it's, it's not been easy. I mean, a do what moment seems to be right around the corner every time for this church when it comes to leading it. But you know something? There's been those times where it's become a defining moment also. 
And it's one of those moments where you, you, you sit back and you say, oh, I see it now. I see it now. I see what you're up to. It hadn't always been that way. I hate to say this, but you know what? Many of us, including myself at times, we, we're, we get stuck with a do what moment. And we never move any further. There's been, been plenty of people that's done that. But how do you turn a do what moment into a defining moment? By being obedient. By saying, yes, God, I know you're doing a great work. Yes, God, I know you're always at work around me. Yes, God, I, I don't understand it completely. Yes, God, I'm saying, do what? I, I see all these obstacles, that crisis of belief. But the do what moment becomes a defining moment when we step out and we do exactly what he's called us to do. And sometimes it makes no sense. Sometimes you think it's way bigger than you are. But greater is he that is in me than anything this world can throw at me. That's really what that verse means. And when he calls you to it, move from do what to defining moment. I'm going to close here. They took too much of my time earlier. <laughs> no, I loved it. I love the fact that, man, I hope you will support Brandon and Tammy. Listen, it's a great work they're getting ready to get into. And uh, I'm excited we get to be a part of that too. But you know something? I would believe even for them. I mean, think about what's going on in their life. They're going from an agency. Think about it, the IMB, the International Mission Board, the Cadillac of all mission boards. They provide everything. And they believe. This is hard for me to get my mind around it. I, even when they told me what they were getting ready to do, I, I said, do what? You're going to leave a secure monthly income and you're going to step over here and you're going to ask people to support this? I think I'd find a different way if I were you. <laughs> but they couldn't get past it. This is what they believe God called them to do. And guess what? They want to turn the do what moment into what? A defining moment. When they look back and they say, that's what God was up to. That's what he was preparing us for over here. That's that step of faith that's going to be required. That's that action he wants me to take. And y'all, it's not just something for Brandon and Tammy or something for my, my family. It's something he wants to do in every one of your families. To take the do what moment and turn it into a defining moment in your life. I want to invite you, if you will, to stand to your feet. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I just want to pray with you. And I don't know where you are this morning. I don't know why God would have me to preach this text this way. I just know that all this week, this is where He was leading me. All this week. And I don't know who's here to, I don't know who, who He wants to hear it. <laughs> Hopefully, all of us. But there may be one or two of you that are sitting here today, and here's what you'd say. You know something? That right there was for me because I'm teetering on something right now that is a do-what moment. And I'm not just sure I got the faith to do it. I'm just not that sure. About, I, I, I mean, it terrifies me to think about what he may be calling me to. If that's where you are, why don't you just step out and join him? 
It can wind up being the greatest moment of your life when you go further down the road and you look back. You see, I've been a pastor for 20 years now, a senior pastor. And I've heard, listen, many, many, many people's regrets. They come in, they share the heart with me. You know, I wish I'd have done this better. I wish I'd have done more of this. I wish I'd have paid attention to this and that. Many times it's in the terms of raising their own families. And I had the privilege to counsel these, these young families for the th last three weeks. And some of the information I gave them wasn't pointed at a specific story, but just some of the things that I've heard many, many people further down the road have said that they wish they'd have paid attention to. This could be one of those moments that you wish you'd have paid attention to in the future. This is the thing that God may be calling you to, that right now is a do what moment that you're going to regret if you don't take the proper steps. And I have no idea where it will lead, but I do know you can trust him. Father, I just come to you right now, and Lord, I have no idea what you're up to right now, but Father, I just pray that you work your Holy Spirit into the lives of these people, and Lord, that you would just help us to understand that the journeys that we see in the Old Testament are or just that, journeys, journeys of faith, those do what moments. And Father, I just pray for each one in here to, to, to reflect on what you may be calling them to do, that they would realize that greater is he that's in me than anything this world can throw at me, any circumstance, anything is the greater work that you desire to go in, in and through me. Father, help us to come to those terms. And Father, if there's someone here that doesn't know you as their Lord and Savior, help them to realize that their first do-what moment will become a defining moment when they give their life to you, when they turn from their sin, they turn from all those things that they think are bringing the greatest amount of happiness, trading that for the joy that comes with eternal life and a relationship with their Creator, all by way of Jesus Christ. Father, if there's someone here that wants to give their life to you, Father, I pray you'll do that work. Have your way in this invitation. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm just going to ask Wesley to play softly. I'll be here at the front. We just ask you to do what God's calling you to do in these moments.